Now, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The last time I was here for the communion service, the Lord impressed these verses upon me at the table. I think I made reference to them there. And uh, when I thought about preparing to preach today on this occasion, these verses came into my mind again. We're going to begin our reading at verse 14, verse 14, and we're going to take the time to read through the remainder of the chapter, and then we will focus our attention on verses 16 and 17. So let us hear God's word beginning at verse 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold Israel after the flesh. Are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then? That the idol is anything? Or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat asking no question for conscience' sake. But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that 
for which I give thanks. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Amen. It is the word of the Lord, and may the Lord add his blessing to the public reading of his infallible word for his name's sake. Let us bow briefly in prayer. Our gracious Father and our eternal God, thou hast brought us now to this time of preparation of our hearts to partake of the bread and the cup, the elements of the Lord's Supper. Thou hast appointed the preaching of the word, that the sacrament may be governed by the word, not the other way around. And so, Lord, we come now to thy word and ask thee that thy spirit will descend upon us and quicken us through thy word. We pray for grace that as this word goes forth, it may search our hearts and enable us to a worthy reception of the elements of the Lord's Supper. So, Lord, we wait upon thee today. We ask that thou wilt give the enabling that is needed for the proclamation of thy word, for the exaltation of thy Son. And we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Verses 16 and 17 are our text today. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. The deepest truths of the Christian faith come before us in a basic fashion. The remembrance of our Savior's death, which the scriptures call the Lord's Supper, is such an occasion. By symbols, and they are simple symbols, we contemplate the mighty sacrifice of Christ and the benefits of that sacrifice to those for whom he made it. I've been listening to an audio book recently because it came to my attention that this last week marked the 100th anniversary of the book's publication. It is J. Gresham Machen's famous work, 
Christianity and Liberalism. It was written, came out a hundred years ago, this last week. And there are many aspects of it so far that I have heard that are prophetic, really. Speaking not only of his own time, but speaking of our time a hundred years later. And when we think of his main thesis, that there is a tremendous distinction between Christianity and the departure from it, then we find that distinction under very basic symbols set before us at the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, we have two simple elements, the bread and the cup. We find reference to both of them in our text. And the Lord's Supper involves very simple actions. The eating of the broken bread, the drinking of the cup. Our text today focuses on the first of the elements, that is the bread which we break, and the first two of the acts, that is taking the bread and eating the bread. And under the symbols and their use, this text teaches us again about Christ's person, the God-man. Emmanuel, about his person, about his work in his agonizing death, about his resurrection, about his work to unite his people for whom he suffered to him in his body. The danger is, that we observe the Lord's Supper so regularly, and we may even say so routinely, that we lose the appreciation of its message. And even worse, we lose the appreciation of its master. So this morning, by the grace of God and the power of His Spirit, we must awake to that danger. We need the instruction again that comes from the scriptures regarding the element of the bread. We need to learn again what it means to take the bread and to eat the bread. So the subject of our text this morning is the communion of Christ's body. It's a simple statement. But the meaning is profound. And we are to remember today that partaking of the Lord's Supper is not a light action. There should be solemnity. There should be reverence. There should be gratitude. There is a link, the scriptures tell us, between the divinely appointed symbols that Christ himself appointed, the bread and the cup, and what they represent, his broken body 
and the blood of the New Testament. And such is the link between those things that those, as we will read in the following chapter, in the words of institution, those who consume the elements in an unworthy manner that is not by faith are guilty not of the elements, but of what they represent, the body and blood of Christ. So there is a spiritual sense, not a physical one, in which those who eat the bread by faith feast on the body that was broken for them. And by that eating, they enter more vividly into the significance of the death of our blessed Savior, into the reality of the horror and the pain that our Savior endured, and the significance of the accomplishments of that suffering. There is real fellowship. There is real communion to use the word from our text, in the Lord's Supper. The fellowship, and that emphasizes that which we hold in common, the fellowship in Christ's sufferings leads to partaking of the fruits of his resurrection and to the uniting unto him and unto all those whom he has redeemed. And what is the requirement for this fellowship? You must believe on Christ as your Savior. Those who come without that faith and who dare to partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper, they risk the judgment of which the Scriptures speak. So the requirement is that you believe on Christ and that you trust in Him and in his sufferings as the payment of your penalty, to which nothing can be added. Unless you are converted to believe on Christ, you have no fellowship with Christ. And you have no fellowship with those who are his people. Only for those who are saved is there what our text describes as the communion of Christ's body. So I want just to speak briefly about four themes of which the bread speaks to us at the Lord's table. First of all, the unity of the body. The message of verse 17 is that there is one bread. You notice that we being many are one bread and one body. And that bread proclaims that there is only one true Christ. There are many false Christs. But they have nothing to offer those who follow them except destruction. Deception. This unity of the body of which the bread is a symbol has two sides in our text. One side 
depicts the union of believers with Christ. The symbol of eating the bread at the Lord's table pictures for us how we partake of Christ spiritually. And let us turn back to the Gospel of John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And verse 48. Jesus said, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, speaking of himself, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Let's go down to verse 56. He that eateth my flesh, Jesus said, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. Was he speaking in some cannibalistic fashion? Not at all. Because we read in verse 57, As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. The bread is himself. The message is, when we partake of Christ by faith, Christ indwells us spiritually. He is our food. But while he indwells us spiritually, it doesn't mean that it's just a phantom. It doesn't mean it's just something that we imagine. He really indwells us so that we enter a true fellowship with Him. We're part of Him. And it is by that fellowship with Him that we draw the nourishment and the strength that we need for spiritual life. In Machen's book, he takes note of the fact that so many of the modernists of his time, and things have not improved at all since then, uh, so many of the modernists of his time thought about or talked about how we need to get back to the simplicity of Christ. We need to jettison all the doctrine, all that Paul taught and all the rest of that. Just get back to what Jesus himself said as a wonderful teacher. They said that Christianity was to be a life, not a doctrine, not something to believe, but a life. But here we find that it is by union with Christ that we draw nourishment for our souls. That our life, and Machen did not deny that Christianity is a life, our life has a direct link to the truth of the gospel. We have to grasp the nature of the union between us and Christ and 
That is what we come to the Lord's table again to remember. Those who believe on Christ are part of Christ. They are part of his body. And the eating of the bread, when we take it and eat it, that symbolizes that relationship we have with Christ. What does that relationship mean? It means that we must be devoted to Christ. We cannot be part of Christ and at the same time take the part of his opponents. We cannot say that we belong to Christ and yet declare sympathy for those who despise him. We cannot be part of Christ and hinder his purpose and his program. When we take the bread and we partake of the bread, we are showing to each other and to the world that we are identified with Christ that we belong to him and we pledge ourselves to be his servants, to obey his direction, to love him above all, to promote his interest and his truth above all. But the act of eating the bread also reminds us that not only are we in union with him, but by virtue of that relationship, we are in union with other believers. That the, those who partake of the bread by faith have communion with Christ and with one another. So we eat together at the Lord's Supper to emphasize that communion we have with each other. So when we eat the bread, we profess that we are part of that communion, that we are not little islands all drifting along, but that God has called us together in this particular congregation to express that communion. When we eat, we profess we not only belong to Christ, but we belong to his people. Eating the bread of the Lord's Supper represents our unity with Christ, and it teaches us to foster our unity with each other. In 1 Corinthians 12, we're not going to take the time to read this passage today, but in 1 Corinthians 12, the Bible presents the unity of Christ's body as being one body with many members. The illustration of the eye, the ear, the feet, and so on. And Paul's argument is that because the eye is not the ear, shall it say to the ear, you don't have any part with me. The recognition is that this body has many members and many gifts and many offices. But the great danger is that we misunderstand the concept of this unity. And so the scripture gives us a warning about it. In the epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 12. 
the purpose of the gifts that Christ has given to his body for the perfecting of the saints, that is, for their maturing, for their growing up, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And this unity appears in the love of the brethren. And I want to make that application just on the, on the level of this local congregation. The, the unity appears in the love of the brethren, that is, in the concern for them, in the giving of self to help them as they need that help. Love for Christ and for his body appears through faithfulness to Christ and his word. It appears through faithfulness to each other, to that humility that prefers others. So in other words, in the church, and here is a message that comes to us at the Lord's table, in the church, there's no room for insistence on rights. We have a right. The only rights with which we are concerned are those of our King, Jesus Christ. So when you eat the broken bread, you testify to that everlasting tie between you and Christ and between you and your fellow believers. Now there are practical effects of our communion service, but they do not subvert Christ's word. And his word is that his people are to be distinct or separated from the world. In Machen's book, he pointed out that in the first century world, it was really revolutionary that when people came out of paganism and professed faith in Christ through the gospel, that their lives changed. And other people could not understand how these people lived differently. They didn't go to the idol temples anymore. They, they didn't engage in acts of perversion and wickedness anymore. Because the bread not only speaks about the unity, it speaks about the purity of the body. We come to partake of the bread today to testify concerning that purity. The bread is a symbol of the body of Jesus. That's what he said. This is my body which is broken for you. And in that body is sinless perfection. That is, no corruption, no shadow, no taint, no foible. In his humanity, Christ is entirely pure. He was in the world, and he walked in close proximity to sinners in the world and to those who were guilty of gross wickedness. But he himself was pure. 
The testimony of the scripture is he knew no sin. He did no sin. He did not have a sin nature. Christ alone could ask the question, which of you convinceth me of sin and have no fear of any reply? Only Christ could say, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Oh, we cannot say that. But Christ could say it. So when we partake of the bread, and we profess our fellowship with Christ, we confess we have been joined to that body and that our objective in life now is to live in separation from the world. Purity is the objective of the believer's life. Now, you're not going to attain that objective in the flesh, just in case you think it might be possible. But this passage emphasizes you will not be a fence straddler. Look back at 1 Corinthians 10 and the words of verse 21. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. That is, Paul was saying to the Corinthians, it is impossible. You can't do it. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. You can't go from the Lord's table to the table of the idol temple where sacrifices are offered in worship to devils. So that those, Paul was saying to the Corinthians who pretend to partake of the Lord's table while they are living in sin, are really partaking of the devil's table. So the question at the Lord's table is always, whom will you serve? Turn to the second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 6. And to verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So the Lord's Supper proclaims purity in this sense as well. It proclaims the doctrine of separation. When you eat of the Lord's table, your testimony is, I am in contact with Christ. That contact is to be to your salvation. But there were those in Corinth who participated at the Lord's Supper, and their contact was to their condemnation. 
Christ's body is pure. But then the third message that comes to us from the bread is the agony of the body. The Lord's Supper is the remembrance of the death of Christ. So when we eat the broken bread, we remember the breaking of that sinless body. I don't have time to go through all of the aspects of Christ's agony, but let me just list some of them for you. The agony in the garden when he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The agony of the trial when ungodly hands struck him on the face, pulled out his beard by its roots. What about the agony of Peter's denial? where we read, the Lord turned and looked upon him. What about the agony of the judgment hall before Pontius Pilate, where Pilate said several times, I find no fault in this man. But the multitude was insistent, led by the religious leaders, that he should be crucified. And the agony of the crucifixion, the shame, the degradation of that form of death that the Romans perfected for the intimidation of the people under their charge. But the worst of the agony was what he suffered for us at the hands of the Father. There was Jesus On the cross, the Holy One of God, the harmless friend of sinners, the one who is undefiled in his humanity. And yet there in those hours of darkness, the Father plunged the smoking knife of his vengeance against our sin into Jesus Christ. The angels could not fathom it. They were ready to rescue him. But Jesus went all the way to the end. He drank the cup to its bottom. Why? Because he loves his sheep. He loved them then. He loves them now. And when you eat the bread, you... Enter into the communion of that broken body. You partake in a spiritual sense of his sufferings and his sacrifice. You remember that your salvation, while free, was not without high cost. And then there's one other aspect of the bread that we ponder today. And that is the victory of the body. Jesus died. Yes, he died. He was the only one in all of history who died by a conscious act of his will. 
He dismissed his spirit into his father's control. And then came Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, his fellow believer, and they took down the body of Jesus from the cross. They carried that body to Joseph's new tomb, in which no burial had ever taken place. They wrapped that body in linens. They anointed it with spices. They placed it in the tomb. But on the third day, that body that was battered and scourged and crowned with thorns and crucified, that same body, that same Jesus came out of the tomb in the power of an endless life. It is victory. The body is victorious. Death could not hold it. Corruption could not touch it. Hell could not prevail against it. Christ arose from the grave to proclaim the conquest of the devil. And when you eat the bread, as we come to do today, you proclaim for yourself and for all others to see that you are a participant in that victory. Let's turn a few pages over to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15. Verse 20, But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order Christ, the firstfruits, afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming. Just a few weeks ago now, our brother Reverend Stephen Hamilton and his family laid our sister June Hamilton's body to rest. But they did not lay that body to rest in despair. They know that there will come a day when Jesus will appear and her body will rise again from the grave. So shall it be for you. For those who have already gone before us in the way, that victory is your victory. So the Lord's Supper, as I have often said, has the backward look to the cross, but the forward look to the crown. We show the Lord's death at the Lord's Supper until he comes. He's going
going to come. The day of final victory is coming. It is nearer now than ever before. So that the grave will not have the last word. And when you eat the bread today, you proclaim that you too will participate in the power of Christ's resurrection. The communion of Christ's body. It speaks to us of unity. It speaks to us of purity, of agony, and of victory. May God grant you grace today to take the bread and the cup, to eat and to drink in the communion of his body and his blood. Let us bow in prayer. Gracious Father, how we praise Thee for Thy holy word, and as many times as we have contemplated Thy truth, we thank Thee for bringing us to it again. And how we pray that today, as we hear the word, and now as we come to the table, that Thou would be pleased to enable us to eat and to drink to the glory of God, to eat and to drink by faith in Jesus Christ, that we may know the reality of the communion of that bread and that cup. O Lord, prepare our hearts, we pray. Cleanse us from sin by the precious blood of the Lamb. And enable us today to remember our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.